Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. Well, um, I'm really blessed to be here uh, this morning, just among beautiful family. Uh, I was I was thinking as I came in, uh, normally my Sundays look like getting to church at 7 a.m. and I'm towing a trailer behind me and the door of that trailer drops and we do the whole setup teardown thing and, and my world on Sunday is slides and mixing and uh, worship team and all of that. And so one, I just want to say, uh, uh, was it Steve? Is that your name, brother? Yeah, one, you blessed the, the baker at the bread shop, so amen for that. And, and two, like, so I'm the associate pastor at our church, but the people who get the most time with me and who I just get to, like, really pour into are the people that serve alongside me. That's what I, how I pastor on Sunday. And so I just call you to that. Like, come on, build the church. That's what we're here to do. Um, and I just have a certain heart for, for this room of people that build this specific gathering place in the church. And so come do that with, with these people. Um, yeah, well, I, I have uh, got a little something on my heart to share this morning. I'm going to pull my notes up real quick. Um, I've been doing ministry in a lot of different ways for, I guess, the last uh, 17 years, if you really look at it. Uh, we've been missionaries overseas. Uh, I tried to be uh, a rock star in a band once for Jesus. That was a fun journey. Um, I've been a worship leader and a pastor in various forms, and with, with all of that time, with all that time, just going, Lord, how are you building your kingdom? What are you up to? How do we love people well? Um, every single time I go home from kind of a day's work, and not because I'm a pastor, just because I love Jesus, and I just come to my knees with the reality that, like, I love the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love getting to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but more than that, I just love the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I don't know if you guys are an interactive kind of community, uh, but I'm going to ask you to be, and if you'd honor me with that, because it'd be awkward for me if you didn't. Um, What's the gospel? Good news, I heard. Anyone else? Any, Any littles in the room? What's the gospel of Jesus? Truth? Grace of God? Resurrection power. I love it. Just from those handful of phrases, you can already see like the fullness of the gospel. Like it is, it's hard to call the gospel one thing because it's a really miraculous, powerful, big thing. And Jesus gives us this gospel, this gospel of grace. Um, if you open your Bibles up, I hope y'all got some Bibles with you today. If not, cozy up with a neighbor. Uh, I love preaching from the Word. We're going to be in Ephesians, kind of all over the place, but we'll start in Ephesians 1. Because I think Paul does a really great job at just, at just reminding, of, reminding us of the gospel that we carry. It says this in Ephesians 1, starting in verse 7. It says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Thank you, Lord. I, I love that. The... the the forgiveness of our trespasses and not out of striving or earning, but according to the riches of His grace. That means when we come to Jesus, we can't earn the thing He's giving out. We can't, we can't strive for it. We can't prove ourselves worthy of it. It's just given. It is given freely and abundantly. 
He died to give it to us freely so that anyone would receive it, right? That's the gospel that saved me. Um, I did not grow up like, uh, like I hear a lot of people in this region grow up in some sort of Christian home um, with some sort of cultural Christianity. That was my story. Uh, I grew up, my father was a heroin addict. Um, my mother was doing everything she could to keep our home together and intact. Uh, there was a lot of uh, emotional abuse, a lot of physical abuse. My parents' marriage lasted until I was 11, and then I was basically left on my own to figure out what life was like. I practically raised myself. I moved out at 17. And I don't say all this to like brag and boast that I like am some self-made man. That is not how we are called to be raised up. That is not the story that I would want my, boy, my boys and my girl to be walking with. I want my children to be raised up, fathered and mothered well so that they do not have to experience that life. But when I was like, man, uh, about 20 years old, uh, I met Jesus, and I won't go into that story because lunch will come. Um, but I met Jesus, and he literally changed my life. He transformed my life. Um, I, he just broke me of, of the things that I had been finding identity in, the things that I had been finding my purpose in. And it was beautiful, and there was nothing I could have ever done to get clean enough to receive it. I had a Savior whose power was, was just infinite and, 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 and more than the brokenness and the sin that I carried. And I love that about the gospel. I hope you love that about the gospel because that's your story. Like even if you didn't grow up like I grew up, that's your story. That you can't earn it, that you can't strive it, that you can't deserve the grace of the cross, but it was given to you freely. Our need for Jesus' redemption is... is, is fierce in us, even as we are still followers of Jesus, my need for his redemption every single day is the thing that I, that I look to. And we start our journeys often highly aware, our journeys with Jesus highly aware of our need for a Savior, right? But what I've come to realize, following Jesus for a little bit of time, helping others follow Jesus in different ways um, through various seasons, is that uh, that, that salvation gospel, or maybe a, a better word to describe what I'm t- talking about, the I gospel is a very short-sighted view of what Jesus was doing, right? The he died to save my sins is a very short-sighted view of what Jesus is doing. The first, first verse I ever, lear- ever learned, even before I was following Jesus, John three sixteen. so God, for God so loved the me, That's not what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so I say that because I am a short-sighted view of the gospel. The thought that it's all for me and only me and that, you know, that that all I should ever do in my entire relationship with Jesus is, is, is isolate myself in a room with him and him alone is not the thing that he died for. And I, you know, I think... I love the story of the garden, the creation story in the garden, and I think it's pointing to this in some significant ways. I'm not going to turn there for time's sake, um, but, but this garden story is a story where creation is formed and made, and God sets it in motion, and I would call it this, this created world of, of symbiotic exploiters before we enter, right? Like, no plant or tree or animal is super concerned about the other plant or tree or animal, but somehow, somehow it all works. But then God in his goodness to make good very good creates us and puts us in it and says, cultivate the thing. 
It can bear fruit on its own, but with you guys working together, he creates mankind, not man and not woman, but mankind to cultivate this garden. And it's, it's profound, and I think it's what Jesus then is, is dying for and inviting reconciliation and redemption for, is to invite the people of God back in, in mutual interdependent submission to one another and to him to become cultivators again, to become gardeners again, people who grow the kingdom of God around them. And I say that because I, I just, I spent a lot of time just like, I'm free, free indeed. And I was free indeed, and I am free indeed, but I missed the kingdom part, the so loved the world part, the house of God, the bride of Jesus, the family of God concept that he really was coming ultimately beyond me, if I dare say, to restore and redeem. If, you, if, you, uh, if we just go back to that passage again, Ephesians 1, 7, I purposefully just read it out of context, which, you know, we can be guilty of sometimes. If we read that again and, and just go all the way through 10, it says this, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Amen. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. You should pay attention when you see that. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And this, I believe, is, is this, this idea of unity, this, this full gospel that, that holds together uh, the truth of a Savior and the truth of a Lord, a kingdom, a Savior for a kingdom, is what Paul is talking about here. That is the uniting of all things. That is the pulling back together of the kingdom of God in its disorder and disarray and chaos that it has become. This is a kingdom of unity. And, and Jesus' own prayer, if you're familiar with it, I think it's often called the priestly prayer in John 17. He's like, I'm leaving. And four times, may they, may, may they be one as you and I are one, Father. May they be one as you and I are one. May they be one as you and I are one. He's talking to his Father. He's talking to the Trinity, which he perfectly dwells within all the time in perfect community. May they be like that is the call. This is a kingdom of unity that he's invited us to not only be part of, but actually to build. Like it's our mandate. And so not only was separation from Jesus put to an end on the cross, and the, the good news is that that separation was put to an end, but it also means that this separation was put to an end between you and I, between me and you, between us and y'all, right? I hear, is that, am I doing it right? Um... <laughs> I got California jokes all day. I love to make fun of myself. Um, um, yeah. Uh, and so there's this kingdom of unity that, we're come, that we are called to build. But I haven't spent any time in your church outside of the last 30 minutes. But if you come and spend time in my church, and I'd assume if I spent some time in y'all's church, that might not be the full picture of what you guys live in and what we see around us. That might not be full, a full picture of the brothers and sisters that you know over the last two or three years who once called on the name of Jesus and now something else is happening. 
right? The, the politics, the racial tensions, poverty. Um, honestly, a world with like, like we're a world awaiting the next Babylon around the next corner, just hoping that like we'll put the right king in place so that the new Babylon will come to life for us. That's the reality of the Christian world, not just the world, but the Jesus world that I belong to and am absolutely tired of. Because it's not a kingdom of unity. It's a kingdom of disunity and disorder. And somehow we're called to build that. Which is crazy. Like, I have three children. We mentioned it earlier. 13, 11, and one just turned six uh, two weeks ago, I believe. I can't get them to get along. And I'm their dad, and I, like, have full authority over their life. (laughs) And I can't even get them to, like, unite on the smallest things, like Legos and Barbies or anything in between. And somehow we are supposed to be the people that come together and unite to see the fullness of the kingdom of God come around us. So how do we get there? How do we build that thing? How do we, how do we build this beautiful picture that none of us are experiencing in its fullness yet? It takes a whole lot of sacrifice. It takes a whole lot of dying to self. I believe it takes living uh, in the fullness of the gospel. It takes uh, walking underneath a banner of oneness. I'm going to get to that in a second. In diversity to maturity. And Paul literally lines this out for us on the next pages. If you would turn with me to Ephesians 4. I just want to look at those three things. What is it to live under this banner of oneness in diversity and and to maturity? Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Paul starts this section off saying, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He's making my point for me, or I'm making his. Um, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. He's painting this picture of this banner of oneness. That's a lot of one this and one that and one the other thing, right? One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one Father, one baptism, one God. What Paul is doing here and talking about here is, is this is your foundation. This is your, no matter what is happening around you, no matter what conflict is happening between you and your friends or between you and, and the world out there or between the thing that maybe you graft to politically and the thing that you don't graft to politically, no matter what conflict is happening there, nothing happens before, before this conversation happens. You stand on this before you stand on principles. You stand on these truths, on this oneness, before you even engage with one another. And I love it because I, I think Paul's even making that point. He calls out all of these postures, postures, excuse me, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. But he's showing you, like, why. We do this because of this foundation. We stand on this foundation. And it's kind of a, a repetition. May, may they be one. May they be one. May they be one. Oneness is our ultimate call, our ultimate goal in the kingdom of God. 
doesn't mean we don't fight. That doesn't mean we don't, we don't seek out a clearer theology. That doesn't mean we don't call up our brothers and sisters, but we sure the heck don't call them out. And I just, this common unity under this oneness, this, I was sitting there worshiping, and I was like, oh, Lord, you just have this common unity for us. That's the word community. I'm as dumb as they get. I had no clue. Common unity, community, that's, what, that's what, what we're invited into. And I'm a young adult pastor, and man, I'll tell you what, young adults, I love you guys so much. You are who my heart probably beats for the most. I, I often get to hear this longing for true community, this long, I just want to be in community, I want to be in authentic, real, genuine community. And I would just submit to you, that can't happen without this oneness, it's the foundation of it, it's the basis of it. You can have affinity. You can have laughs and fun and joy and some of those things, but if you want community, you need common unity. You need the thing that you guys are all centered around and pointing to together before you need to fill in the gaps everywhere else. So that's that banner of oneness. You can't remove any of those absolutes. You can't remove one Father, one Savior, one Spirit, one Lord, one baptism, one body, the church, one God and still have the kingdom. Any of those things falls away, you don't have the kingdom of God anymore. It's a lot of oneness, but these are meant to be the things which means that we have to keep the main things the main things. Which means, again, when we're under trial, when we're in conflict in our like life groups or in my marriage or whatever the thing is, that before I try to fix the issue, I stand on the foundation under all of that oneness, that's the thing I stand under and say yes and amen to this thing before I say yes and amen to anything else. But here's the reality is that is really hard. That's a, it's a tough thing to walk out in life. And, and I know as I started following Jesus, I often found myself feeling very outside of that reality because it hadn't come to life within me. Right? It was like, I felt like, uh, like your first day on a job. How many of y'all have worked? <laughs> um, <laughs> my first day on the job, and you kind of, you're like, oh, here we go. Like, I'm going to show up. And even coming into here, I, <laughs> we fly in, and I, I wear the same thing every single day of my life. I do not have a dip. I have a closet full of black t-shirts and four pairs of jeans. Because that's just easier for me. But I had the, oh my gosh, Lord, we're we're going to a different place. I'm amongst the different people and I want to honor them. I probably should have brought a button up shirt or something. I'm so sorry. So I'm so sorry. Can, Grace, please. But like that feeling of, oh, I'm out of place here. That's real. Don't throw that away. We're not like robots who just throw out the pains and the, the tension of feeling sometimes out of place. And I would, I would submit that like, that's actually, that's actually one of the things that belongs in this community You should be in a place where you feel out of place often. And here's why. Paul goes on to say this in 11 and 12. In, uh, excuse me, in chapter 4, 11 and 12, he says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Now, this is a passage about leadership in the church right here and, and, and just these really significant giftings given uh, for the sake of, uh, of what it is to equip the church. But what I love about this is there, if you know anything about these five giftings, they are wildly different from one another 
In my time in ministry, I've gotten to sit under probably the most single gifted shepherd I've ever experienced. And it was beautiful, and he loved people well, and he walked with people, but he frustrated me because we didn't go anywhere sometimes, you know? And I love him, and, I, and actually, he just called me on my way here, so it was super sweet. But um, what I'm getting at is we can get really caught up in this idea that to be Christian is this very specific expression of personhood, this really specific expression of being where everybody acts the same and walks the same. No, we have a banner of oneness that we stand under, But from that banner of oneness, we have a diverse expression. It's beautiful. It's wild. It's why we can sit in a room and with people that look different than us, sound different than us, politically are different than us, different uh, social economic class than we are. And I would say that that is the image of God in which we were created in. It's my personal belief that Genesis conversation about creation Let us make mankind in the image of God. In the image of God, he creates them. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply. That creation story is a a diverse community of personhood that is God, Father, Son, and Spirit, saying the only thing that can image us rightly is a diverse community of God that looks intrinsically different from one another, which means I'm only part of the image of God. Like, I'm finite. There's an end to my ability to image God because I need someone next to me and I need someone over here and they can't look like me, they can't sound like me, they can't smell, smell like me. It's a good thing. Um, <laughs> so if, you're, you're call, if you call on the name of Jesus, you're, you're a body part. You're part of the body. Which also means if you call on the name of, the, of Jesus, you're a body part. Like there's, not a, there's no way around that. And I, I say that because there's, there's just this thread going through the, the Christian world right now, and it comes from the non-Christian world that says, um, you alone are enough. Your truth is enough. Your feelings are enough. The things that make you feel good are enough. And they're just not. You can just take my word for it from my very short-lived life up to this point, but I've tried and I've tried to make myself feel better and I've tried and I've tried to uh, give myself a sound mind and I've tried and I've tried um, to land in a specific uh, expression of, of, of posturing myself in front of others that I thought would appease and find approval and it just it didn't land. It just never lands. It never, it never fulfills my heart because I am meant to be part of a body. I am meant to be part of a community, common unity community. And furthermore, I kind of alluded to it, but if you're part of a church body, maybe you're here today, and as I'm talking about this, there's this like, yeah, I really don't, I don't feel like I fit here. I feel like, yeah, it's been hard. It's been tough. I haven't found my people yet. Uh, they think this, that, and the other of me. Who knows what the narrative in your head is right now? But if you're in a community that you feel like you do not fit in, it's probably because you're the most needed person there. Like, when you feel on the outside, you, that means you belong on the inside real quick, in the, in the house of Jesus. That is your place of belonging. If you look around, like, everyone really seems like a, a you know, really solid right hand. Don't let that church be a really solid right hand church. That's weird. <laughs> be the weird person that changes it and colors it up a little bit. And, like, so my wife and I, we, we came in 
came into Antioch only four years ago, I think now. Um, I was an associate pastor at a different church and, and had the painful journey of getting to and having to close a church down. Uh, it's beautiful and sovereign to sit with people in that kind of closure, and it's also painful and, and heart-wrenching. Um, and we came into Antioch. We had met Antioch in the mission field. They were these crazy people praying power and healing over people, and we were like, these guys are, these guys are something. Uh, we felt like missionary chumps when we met them. Uh, I'm not joking. I really did. I was like, Lord, I repent. I don't know what we're not doing. But So I meet these Antiochers and, and whatever and learn about Antioch. And so four years later, the city that we had been pastoring in, uh, there's an Antioch church plant. It was about three, four years old, four years old at the time. And we, we came in and it like, we came all the way in. We didn't, like, tiptoe in. We're not, like, dip our toe in the water kind of people. We told the pastor, I think this is where we're going to be, and we were in the discipleship training school two weeks later. Like, we just jumped in. We're weird. And don't be weird like us. That's not the application from this message. But what I would say is we did not fit in. Like, we just, we didn't fit in. There was, like, a boldness around us, and I'm like, y'all, they're a little uncomfortable. Um, there was, there was a, a, a desire for holiness, in the Antioch that we're part of that I just hadn't like been challenged to yet. And it was like, it feels like legalism. I don't know. But like, but we pressed into it and we pressed into it because it was uncomfortable and the discomfort rended our hearts open, which that word means rip your heart open, literally just like not, not with this, uh, what is that thing? A scalpel, like rip your heart open and allowed us to to kind of surround these new ways that we were learning that are the ways of Jesus and increase the capacity of our heart as it healed around those things. Does that picture make sense to you? We didn't fit in. But I love that I didn't fit in there. I love that I didn't fit in there because it became this powerful thing for me in my own transformation, but also furthermore than that, I'm going to keep reading a little here, uh, a little more. We're in 13, uh, on verse 13 right now. It says this, Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working proper, properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So I didn't fit in that. I didn't fit at all, but what happened was I got to be stretched and... The Antioch that we call home, that is our family, got to be stretched by us. So I actually, I came in four years ago with this high vision for like a type of leadership that I thought was really biblical. It's this five-fold picture right here. And I had led in a very different kind of context. And I sat down with our lead pastor, who I was just getting to know at the time, and I said, hey, this is what I'm carrying. This is what I believe in for church planting. I, I think this isn't just a suggestion that Paul's talking about. I actually think it's a model we're supposed to step into. And his reply to me at the time, and he knows I'm sharing this, so I'm honoring him. Don't worry about that. Uh, his reply to me at the time was, oh, I love that, but we're a lead pastor-led model. And I remember going, Lord, is this where we're supposed to be? 
Like, I don't want to do that anymore. I, don't, I want to plant a church, but I do not want to be the guy. I do not want to be somebody's Moses. I'm terrified of that. And I don't think it's right for me and my family and the stresses of ministry and also for the ability to make disciples. And I just remember as him and I got to know each other over the years, we have wrestled together. We have challenged one another in love, in truth, to say, hey, I wonder if there's more than what we know right now. I wonder if, like, we're supposed to grow. He's my age, which is, it helps, you know. Uh, we're essentially peers in that level. But, but now we're in this beautiful place where we, as a church, we've declared, hey, we're a five-fold leadership church. As a church, we've declared, hey, no longer do we want to, we're moving from this thing to that thing because we think God has more for our church community. And actually, this thing that we were holding on to maybe a little too tightly um, is what's growing us right now. So I got stretched, the body got stretched, it got to raise up into that unity until we attain to the unity and we're still attaining and we're still attaining. But that means that what Paul is saying here, that in the body of Jesus, in the church of Jesus, you have explicit permission to mature. It's written in the word of God. Come and mature here. Come and grow up here. And I don't mean that as a like grow up, like accusation. I mean, no, come and be fathered and be mothered and be challenged by your peers. Come and grow up here. You get to grow up in this context. Not like the one I shared earlier without a dad without anyone caring about what I was walking into, what I was getting lost in. No, you get to grow up in better than that. And it requires to be under that banner of oneness that's necessary. It requires that everyone's going to be a little bumpy and look a little, a little different than one another in diversity. But there's such a beautiful permission to mature in the kingdom of God together. I think that another way I hear people yearning for church that sounds like, I, I wish we'd be a church that, that people could just come how they are. Come as you are. And you should be that church. Like, be the church that says, come how you are. The gospel has no presupposition to it. But what Paul is doing here is he's saying, come as you are, but don't stay there. Like, <laughs> God's best for you is better than what you're sitting in right now in your own life, in your own brokenness, in your own, even in your own pride and, and feeling of that you have arrived already. I love to call that an idol of arrival, and I'll just say as a sideline, it is the largest idol in the Christian church right now, right? If we can, if we can be, uh, live a life of behavior management, we can posture ourselves to look like we've arrived amongst our peers. You know what has blessed me over the last 24 hours? I just sat with a man who shared story after story after story of being beaten up and chewed out by ministry. And it, it just blessed my heart. Steve, thank you for that, man. That's amazing. Nobody does that. Nobody lets you in to the, hey, this is hard. And I learned a thing or two, and I pivoted a degree or two. That's okay, because there's permission to mature here in the kingdom of God. As the individual, there's permission to mature as the church. So like, we, a lot of us walk around with a lot of church hurt because of previous experiences with the church. And inevitably, the phrase that comes out of your mouth is, insert name here, is a messed up church because of A, B, C, or D. Well, one, you probably haven't walked into that church in the last few years. Maybe they're not anymore. I don't know. We've had that with Antioch. Oh, Antioch's a bunch of blah, 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 blah. Yeah, maybe we were. Lord, 
refine us, grow us, mature us. Let us be a people who are teachable. Let us be a people who want the fullness of your best for us and not just the best that we start with. So like expect your church to mature, but also give it grace for the process because you want it yourself, right? And then it also just means that your leadership is on the same journey. I'm 39 years old. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing most days. I know that Jesus is my cornerstone. But I miss a lot of the other stuff most days. Sometimes I run people over in ministry. Sometimes I say something really dumb in a conversation. Sometimes I misrepresent God. And I just, I submit that to the people that I'm with. I'm like, man, when that happens, would you come to my, le- to my left or to my right and go, James, then you missed it. And I will tell you, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. I want more for myself than what I'm able to do in my own strength. And even though I am full of the Holy Spirit, he's in God's goodness, required an interdependency here and here with y'all and y'all. That, I believe, is a picture of like this full gospel. But we have to hold on to it because the last few years have been wild, have been exciting probably for your church. It has been for mine. We've essentially relaunched our church. We went from, you know, I could care less about numbers most days. COVID, it just was tragic. And we went from a very uh, vibrant a live church to one that barely existed. And what happened is people began to lay down these specific tenets. The maturity permission, the diversity permission, the oneness banner. We started just dropping them left and right and left and right. And, and I watched the people around me do this thing called deconstruction. And some of us are tired of hearing that word thrown around because whatever. But but the, I'll just say this, deconstruction, I'm late. Deconstruction is not the heart of God. I'll just say that as boldly as I can say. Deconstruction is not the heart of God. The heart of God is resurrection, redemption, reconciliation. Those are some R's that you can hold on to. And if you want a bucket to put those in, I like to use the word, I like to build things. So I, like, I use the word renovate. Right? If I've got a house that I'm moving into, it's probably not going to make a lot of sense if I need to go live in that thing to go blow it up. Or when I'm working on a car, right, I like to do a little maintenance on my vehicles. I'm a weird Californian like that. Um, When I'm working on my car, I don't take the entire car apart in the garage and then replace my oil. I just replace my oil because I'd probably never get it put back together again. And that, brothers and sisters, is where we're sitting. There's a a lot of garages in the kingdom right now with disassembled cars and people sifting through the parts trying to figure out their lives and like what happened and instead what I would do in that scenario is I would be like I'm done I'm going I'm going to go buy a new car and it often isn't this oneness this kingdom thing and so I just want to submit that to you because it's on my heart right now that that God doesn't he doesn't have like a plan b or a plan c or a plan d the body this unity is his plan for creation. Y'all come on up, you're not, you're good. Come on up all the way. Um, and so here's what I want to invite us to, if, if you're willing, and I can't make you do this, but um, a way that I've been able to discover the places in my heart that are a little off, is I, I just begin to ask myself, like, oh, what's my hope in? And like normally, my first answer is Jesus. And if I spend a little more time with Jesus, he's good enough to show me that like, that's probably not the truth. 
<laughs> that instead, maybe my hope uh, is in something else. Maybe, maybe my hope is that like, it's me. Like that Jesus has no other purpose outside of me. So I'm just like, Jesus, transform me, change me, take me to the seventh heaven. Like just, just do this thing in me and, and it's me and only me, Lord. There's no hope beyond me. Sometimes it's, it's one where, where I'm sitting over here like in the sideline and I'm looking at a church like, well, when y'all grow up, I'll jump back in. As soon as you guys figure it out, I'll be part of this. As soon as, as, soon as those guys grow up in my whatever college life group, then I'll join it. Right? You've got to hope in something that's not Jesus. One where you're waiting for, for a community to look like you or sound like you or, or say the right like phrase from the stage. That's a big one right now, especially politically. I can't be here if they don't say this. But they can say Jesus and that's not really important to you anymore because they're not saying this. That's so secondary. And we're stepping into another kind of political season here soon and I think what we saw a good handful of years ago was a whole bunch of people who call on the name of Jesus waiting for the next Babylonian leader to be crowned. That was their hope. Paul, if that is your hope, you can have, you know, an interest, an interest or, or a, a preference. But if your hope, if that is your hope, you've missed Jesus by miles and miles. And so... What I'd love to do, this is kind of more of a heart message than a, you know, other application kind of message, but I'd love to invite y'all to, to just begin to ask those questions. Where's my hope at? Where's my hope at? I think we have people who like to pray in this church. I hope. Yeah? Cool, cool, cool. So, life group leaders, leader leaders, <laughs> uh, all the people who y'all know who, who prays here, but... What I have found is really helpful for me is once I, I find that, that broken hope, that, that skewed thought, is I talk to Jesus about it, but then I remember the common unity that I'm made for, and I go and I talk to someone else about it, and I say, hey, would you stand in this with me? Would you actually not only be part of the healing that I'm going to experience, but maybe a bit of the accountability and a bit of the encouragement that I need to change directions in my life? And so, Lord, we, we love you. We love that your, your best is better than we can even dream up, which means we need to submit to you, Lord. It means we need to surrender to you. If we want to receive this beautiful gift that you have given, our hands need to be open, Lord. And then we need to use it. <laughs> and we need to utilize it. And we need to use it for the sake of one another. And so I just pray in this church, Lord, would you continue to build it up? Would you continue to call it up, Lord? You're not a God that calls out. You call people up to the thing that you desired for them. So we just invite the fullness of your healing presence, Holy Spirit. Let's respond.